Uh, I told you last week that, uh, again, I was reading the, uh, the Genesis narrative of creation, and, and I was just reminded, and it kind of spoke to my heart, about how God is so intentional, purposeful. He, he, he had a plan, what he was going to do. And it reminded me, as I'm working with staff and even heading into the new year for myself, nothing happens by accident. Well, a lot of things happen by accident, but they're not always good. And, and hear me, loved ones, in, 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 in everything that Jesus does for you is so wonderful and it's good, but you will never get the fruitful, fullest blessing of what he has for you, your present and your future, if you are not intentional about growing in him, walking with him, living for him. All of that is so important. You have a part in this. Read Philippians chapter 2, where it talks about how we work with the purposes. We work and cooperate with the purposes that God has for us. What he's worked in, we work out. And that's so important because a lot of people just kind of say, I've come to Jesus, and they take a case, sirrah, sirrah, whatever will be, will be attitude. And it never works that way. And I told you that I think that one of the great statements... By man is this. It was, it's in the Westminster, Westminster uh, Catechism. And it says this. What is the chief end of men? Man's chief end. So what we do is to glorify God and to live for him forever. Now glory has this idea of it's having a strong opinion about. It's, it's extending and giving worth and value to something. By your words, by your deeds, by your actions. To glorify means to magnify, to make big. Hear me, we can't make God bigger. But we can make him bigger in our lives. And we can definitely make him bigger and greater and be seen, magnified to the people around us. And that's so, so important. And it all comes from what? How we acknowledge him, how we live for him. Story of Mickey Cohen. I don't know how many, a lot of movies. He's been in a lot of gangster movies, but a uh, true story of, of Mickey Cohen. He was a gangster in LA in the 40s, 50s, and, and 60s. And there's a book out, uh, Loving God, by Charles Colson that tells part of the story of his, a little bit of his, a uh, segment of his life, uh, written by revivalist and historian J. Edwin Orr. Now, Orr was with Billy Graham and and there was a time uh, when Billy Graham addressed about 60 people before he did his big L.A. crusade that really kind of thrust uh, Billy into the limelight as an evangelist. He met with about 60 people because he was already building this evangelistic fervor and reputation. And it was in Beverly Hills with about probably 60 people. And and Mickey Cohen, who was a mobster, I mean, a big time mobster, but very, uh, very Hollywoodish type of mobster. He was very famous at that time. He actually attended this little gathering with Billy Graham. And he expressed interest in the message. Because another one of his gangster friends had actually come to Christ and started to change. And so Mickey says, well, you know, hey, I'll check this out. And, you know, it was probably a little bit more, give him a little bit more notoriety. I'll come back to that story in a minute. I want us to jump right in. Uh, the, the first thing I said last week, the first point was focus on God's glory. It's the bottom line, wherever you do. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says this, that wherever you eat, drink, or wherever you go, do everything. Not some things, not a few things, not what you choose to do, but everything for the glory of God. See, whatever you do, see, all of our life, loved ones, is worship. All that we do for God, we are committed to glorifying him in the, in the minor, in the mundane, in the major. 
But we begin to think like this, is what I'm doing, is how I'm living, is how I'm talking, everything I do, am am, am I really glorifying and worshiping God with every aspect of my life? And we talked about fortifying your prayer life and establishing your growing faith, and you can pick those that, that talk up online. But I want to start today with forsake the tendency to disobey. Forsake the tendency to disobey. If you want to be a man or a woman who desires to bring glory to God and desires to glorify God with your life and enjoy life with him, you'll do it by determining to follow him and to obey him in every area, every way, every day. John chapter 21, verse 18. Let's pick it up. Jesus is talking to Peter and he's telling him, Peter, 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 this is what I got for you. I want you to follow me. I want you to feed my sheep. What he's really saying is I want you to pastor them. I want you to shepherd them. And then in the verse he says, feed my sheep. And Jesus said, I assure you, when you were young, you would tie your belt and you'd walk wherever you wanted. But when you grow old, get this, he says, when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will tie you and carry you where you don't want to go. And Jesus says this, he says, and this is to signify by what kind of death he would glorify God through. After saying this, he just basically said to him, he said, listen, Peter, just follow me. Uh, Historians tell us that Peter died on a cross upside down. So basically he had his hands tied and extended and and, uh, was crucified upside down. Well, notice Peter's response, verse 20. Jesus just basically said, follow me, obey me, go where I go, do what I do. Well, Peter turns around and he saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following. Then we know that's the apostle John. That disciple was the one who leaned against Jesus at the supper and he asked, Lord, who is the one that's going to betray you? And when Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about him? So Peter looks at John and goes, well, what about him? If that's how I'm going to die, what about him? I'm, well, you know, and I, I'd like to know what, what, what's kind of coming down the road for everybody else. And then Jesus says, well, if I want him to remain until I come, what is that to you? As for you, follow me. Jesus is calling Peter to, a, to be a distinctive voice, to a distinctive place in his life. And he says, I want you to do whatever I call you to do for this purpose, to glorify me. But we see here, Peter's really concerned about what's going to happen to John. But the Lord really turns to him. He says, you know, Peter, I'm I'm concerned about you, but I want you to be concerned with the call that I have for you on your life. Don't worry about John. See, problems come in our lives, doesn't it? When we begin to look around and we begin to, we can so easily get, get out of our lane and get off track and get caught up in the issues of others around us and other things around us. And I really believe that that's what, if we don't keep our focus on what Jesus has called us to do and to become, that's when we really get off track and we lose sight of what God has for us. Because when you start looking around, it's easy to go, well, where's God in all this? How come he's doing this for them and not for me? I mean, I'm a whole lot better person than Wade is, you know? I mean, spiritually, I mean, Wade's just a loser. I mean, you know, and he's not. He's great. But, but you know how easy it is to do that? 
And pretty soon you can begin to lose focus of what Jesus has for you. So we learn here from Peter that, that understanding, hear me, this is a great principle. Understanding is never a prerequisite for ministry or following Jesus. You don't have to understand it all. You don't have to know it all. Real maturity and growth is doing something when you don't understand the situation for Jesus. Remember what Paul said? He's talking, to the, he's talking to Timothy as a young pastor. And he says to him, listen, I want you to pastor. I want you to lead people. I want you to never forget. You're going to need to be like a soldier in this ministry. Why does he say that? Because what does a soldier do? A soldier simply obeys. Those of you who have been in the military, you understand it. If that guy above you says, listen, Go over there and dig a hole. Yes, sir. And you dig that hole. And then when you're done, if that guy comes back there and he goes, okay, would you just go back and fill up that hole again with the dirt that you took out? You don't scratch your head and go, what are you talking about? Why would I do? No, you don't argue. You just go what? Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. And you go fill it in. See, and, and I think that, we're not, I'm not talking about stupidity or anything like that, but there is a sense, loved ones, where we follow Jesus and we obey him, even when we don't understand the situation, because that's the greatest test of our maturity and our trust in him. you got children. You don't explain everything you tell them to do, do you? When do you know they're maturing? It's not when they sit down and they debate with you on what you ask them to do and why they should do it. It's when they go, okay, mama, you bet, daddy, I'm going to go do that. See, obedience, loved ones, has this whole idea. The word comes, the, 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 kind of the derivation, the, the etymology of it, the, or the meaning of it has to do that we hear from down under because we trust. That we understand our position before the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings, Jesus Christ. And because we understand that, when he speaks to us, something in our heart says, don't go there, don't say that, don't do that. Or we read the word one morning and you get up and you go, oh yeah, I need to do that. You're hearing from down under. You're hearing from a voice, a person, Jesus, that's above you. And because you've heard from this masterful king of kings, you say, yes, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, Lord. And see, a lot of times disobedience isn't so much the activity, but ultimately it becomes about that. But sometimes disobedience can just simply be the activity of not hearing or not wanting to hear or not putting ourselves in a position to hear. So here's the question, loved ones, as you head into this new year. What percentage of the day do you think about Jesus? What percentage of the day do you find yourself talking to him, thinking about him? Because it will always make a difference in your obedience and your ability to hear that gentle, still, small voice. Those inner promptings in your spirit, it, it will affect everything you do. It will affect your speech. It will affect the way you talk to people. It will affect the way you respond or react to people. It will affect how you go to work tomorrow. Because when you're hearing Jesus, he's going to be speaking the current words that you need to hear to move through your day in your life. I'm not talking like some kind of ticker tape, you know, you're getting this readout. But there's this sense that when you get up in the morning and if you just spend a few minutes in the word, there'll be days where it just goes 3D on you. And you'll go, that's Jesus speaking to me. And then before you go into a meeting at work or you have to deal with a tough client, you can just say, Lord, speak to me. 
And then the key is, is will you obey? Will you respond and do what he says? I, I, I get this all the time. People, why, why should I obey? I mean, why, why is obedience such a big deal? You know what I really encourage people to do now? I say, go read the book of Deuteronomy. The book of Deuteronomy, it's, it's the fifth book in the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. If you read Deuteronomy, it's the capsulization that Moses has written. It's really like five sermons. It's like five teachings. He's getting ready to check out of this world to die. And so he gathers the nation of Israel together. And he gives them this 440-year history. And this is really the bottom line. He says you spent 400 years... In Egyptian bondage, slaves, doing, breaking your back for them. And then you spent 40 years in the wilderness. And everybody's now died off from that. So I don't want you to forget what happened. I don't want you to ever forget what took place. Because never forget when your parents, when your grandparents, all of our people were in Egypt. They were in bondage. They were slaves. They had their back broken by the Egyptians. And Paul says that because we understand now in the New Testament era of Christianity that that Egypt becomes a powerful picture of the world. And Moses is reminding them, you don't want to go back because you'll break your back again. They'll bust your chops. You will have no freedom. You will be slaves. And see, loved ones, that's why I tell people that, because I says, don't ever forget where you came from. Christianity, following Jesus, is not easy. Oh, but it's always the best. And sometimes we're like God's people. Oh, I just wish I could go back and do that again. And then if you went back, if you really thought about it, you'd go, oh, no, I don't want to do that. I don't want to go to bed, la, 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 and wake up, la, 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 you know? Why would I want to do that? That's why we say obey, because Jesus' statutes, his laws, his commandments aren't heavy. He knows that the world system will kill you, but he won't. He comes to give you life and to give it more abundantly. He wants to give you his laws to give you purpose and, and boundaries and guardrails so that you can have success as you trust him and do what he says. That's why obedience is so important. And see, loved ones, that's why we have to teach our kids how to obey. Not because I said so, but because it's always the best, best way. Back to the story of Mickey Cohen, the mobster. Historian J. Edwin Orr, who was working with Billy Graham at the time and was a historian, uh, he talked about this whole uh, story of Cohen meeting with uh, Dr. Graham. Actually, in 1957, Time Magazine even wrote a brief on it. And they said this, quoting the, the article, Billy Graham, he came up and before... Uh, this is Cohen talking. He says, oh, yeah, Billy came up, and before we had food, he said that. What's that thing you call it, that thing they say before food? Grace? Yeah, grace. Then we talked a lot about Christianity and stuff. 
And you got to know Billy Graham, even at that, I mean, he would have called for the question if he wanted to respond. And, and, and the idea in the readings was that he didn't respond there. But there came a time where a friend came to him, another gangster friend who literally become a Christ follower. And he came to him and said, Mickey, you need to have Jesus in your life. And he shared with him Revelation 3.20, where, it taught, where, where uh, in, in the book of Revelation, it says, Behold, I stand at the door knock. If any man open the door, I will come in and dine with him. And at some point, somewhere, Mickey actually embraced Christ. Uh, The problem is after his profession of faith, it never led to any evidence of repentance leading to obedience, a change of heart, a change of life, a change of character, a change of lifestyle. So he had another friend who'd become a Christ follower. His name was Bill Jones. And, and so Bill Jones came up to me and said, listen, Mickey, as a Christian, you should be putting as much mileage between yourself and your mob connections and the mob activities as possible, moving away from that. Well, Mickey looks at Jones, and this is what he says. Hey, you never told me I had to give up my career. I had to give up my friends. I mean, there's Christian athletes, there's Christian cowboys, there's Christian businessmen. Whoa, why, 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 why not a Christian gangster? <laughs> and then he said these powerful words. He said, if I have to give it all up, if that's Christianity, count me out. And see, loved ones, for so many, that's what happens. If I have to give it up, I, I, I don't want to do it. He ended up going through multiple marriages or multiple women. In 1978, he died a broken, lonely man. Let me just say this, because this is the bottom line. Obedience always produces blessing. Now hear me. I'm not talking about bigger cars, more homes, or better boats. I'm not talking stuff like that. I'm just talking it will produce a blessing to your life that will give you security and protection in everything. Problem is, is too many of us think we can do it our own way. And that's where we get into trouble. Forsake, loved ones, the tendency to disobey Jesus. Secondly, commit to a fruitful life this year. Glorify God through a fruitful life. John 15, 8 says this, My Father is glorified by this. Jesus is speaking that you produce much fruit and prove to be not my disciples. In, in, that, in that whole passage there, the first 15 uh, verses of chapter 15 of John, it talks about bearing fruit, bearing much fruit, bearing much more fruit. There's almost this progression so that our lives go through this process and, they, and there's a progression of bearing fruit. Uh, I should be bearing much more fruit in my life and in this ministry than when I first came here. And it's the same for you. The longer you walk with Jesus, there should be producing more fruit. Now, uh, there's a whole hurting world out there. There's not a person in this room that wouldn't acknowledge that. So what he's really saying is, I want you to live like a tree. I want you to live your life. And and, and this whole thing, loved ones, about glorifying God. It's not that we work so hard at it. It's simply that we begin to walk with Jesus. Have you ever walked through an orchard of trees, like let's say apple trees, and have you ever heard walk through them and all of a sudden you heard, ah! you know, these trees are just groaning because they're trying to grow fruit. You've never heard that, have you? No. 
And that's not really how our lives should be. It should simply become as a, uh, as, a, as a simple manifestation because what Jesus is saying in John 15, he says this, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you're gonna be fruitful. And you're not gonna have to like, oh, I gotta do this, I gotta, oh, I gotta make God happy. It's just gonna be this natural manifestation where day by day there's gonna be this fruit. Jesus said it this way in Matthew 9. He says, the harvest is plentiful, the fruit is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send forth workers. Hear me. We have a world that is full of fruit, but the harvest will not self-reap. It will self-rot. And that's what's happening all around us. And that's the problem with the church, is we have become isolated from the world instead of insulated from it. And we want to come, we want to just pat each other on the back and tell us how good we are and, and just kind of, you know, oh, I don't want to be out there. We, we, too many churches want to make war against the world instead of make love with the world. And forgive the terminology there, but what I'm saying is, is that we love that world. Not its systems, but its people. And that we become trees. That wherever we go, that tomorrow, you're kind of like this tree that's just got low-hanging fruit. It's ripe. and People can eat from it. They can be sustained from your life. Because when all hell is breaking loose around them in their family, on their job, in their finances, they can go, oh yeah, Wade. I don't know what it is, but I'm going to go talk to him. And then they just begin to pick from your fruit. Receive from your fruit. See, there's the fruit of conduct. That's what Jesus talks about in John 15. There's the fruit of conduct. As we obey and abide in him, we, there, that's the origin of the fruit-filled life. Those of you that have been around here for a while know that one of my favorite sayings from the scriptures is grace and truth. <coughs> I work hard to book in my life with grace and truth. I work hard to have a ministry that is bookended by grace and truth. It's not either or. Most of our lives, <clears throat> excuse me, most of our lives lean into grace or most of our lives leaning into truth. But Jesus was the personification of the perfect bookends. His life was upheld. His ministry was upheld by these things called grace and truth. <clears throat> and as a sidebar, this is what happens. I get it all the time. Uh, you know, there's people, if I'm gracious to them, they're good until I have to speak the truth to them. And I mean really speak the truth. This is what I've learned over the years. You might want to just note this. The people that scream for more grace, more grace, more grace, they probably have plenty of grace. What they really need is truth. The people that scream, we need more truth, Pastor. We need more truth. Preach it, preach it. Tell these people how to live. You know what? They probably need more grace. We always scream for what we have because we want everybody else to be that way. If we're real loose, we're screaming for grace. It's because we don't want to be called to attention to glorify Jesus. And if we're screaming for more grace, or excuse me, for more truth, it probably means we want everybody to be as rigid as we are. And that's why I say as a church, we're doing pretty good, I think, overall. I want us to be bookended by grace and truth. Why do I tell you that? You've heard it before. It's a great reminder. Because we all lean into one of those more than the other. 
And I always want us to be bookended by that. But this Christmas, you've heard that so many times. Trina's heard it all our married life. So this Christmas, what does she do for me? She, well, I don't know, went online somewhere and she found somebody that could actually cut out and saw little bookends that say grace and truth. So I opened it on Christmas morning. I thought, how cool is that? And she goes, yeah, you always talk about that. You always talk about grace and truth. And I said, well, that's, that's just so wonderful. And I don't, you know, it wasn't an expensive gift, and that doesn't even matter. But this is the point that moved me so much. You know why that gift moved me? Because this is what I know. For her to have that gift ordered and take care of it, she had to listen to her husband. She had to know something that really quickened his pulse and made his heart beat and guided his life. And so that when I opened that, she goes, yeah, that's you. That's, that, that's what you always talk about and want us to be like. And I thought, how moving. Because she had to listen to me. She had to know me and what, what made my heart beat. And, and hear me, loved ones. When it comes to having a fruitful life, you can only do it when you know what causes Jesus' heart to beat. When you spend time with him, when you hear from him, when you listen to him, and, and that's part of this whole abiding and being at home with him. And that's the first thing of having a life and a conduct of fruit. Romans uh, 13, uh, Romans 1.13 talks about the fruit of ministry. Paul comes to the church of Rome and he says, I have come to you so that I can bring fruit and have fruit of ministry among you. He says, I'm a debtor to everyone. He says, I'm a debtor to the Greek and the barbarian. And, and you can extrapolate that out, and he would say to the sophisticated and to the simple, to the businessman, to the biker, to the housewife, to the hippie, to the jock, to the jailbird. Why does he make those distinctions, not those specific ones? Because this is what Paul knew. He says, I have experienced the fruit of God's love and grace. And that's what moves me. He was amazed at the goodness of God's grace toward him that saved him radically, touched him mightily, and came when he was erring greatly. The Apostle Paul goes on to say in 2 Corinthians 5.14, the love of Christ constrains me. Constrains me what? To live for him, to love people for him, to love him more. One translation renders that verse this way. The love of God leaves me no choice. Jesus said, remember when he was an adolescent and he was, I don't know how this happened. Well, I know how it happens. It happened to me once. But your parents, they, they forgot him. They left him behind. And he was talking to all these guys sitting in the temple and 12 years old preaching to him. And they come and get him and they go, dude, what's going on here? And he goes, I must be about my father's business. And see, loved ones, that's the fruit of ministry. We're a debtor. And we, we have, I hope at some point that if it hasn't, that that there's a compulsion in your life to serve Jesus at a higher level because his love constrains you. Not because you hear PT going off on something, but because you realize, I do this for Jesus because I want to glorify him. 
And I want his life to be manifest and glorified wherever I go in whatever I do. And the last fruit that we can glorify Jesus is, is the fruit of our character. The fruit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. In a world, loved ones, you know. I see it all. When I leave this campus and I go dry, I see it all the time. This world is lacking in those commodities. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. And you know why the world lacks in them? Because they don't see it happening. They get mad at somebody and somebody gets mad back. What would they do? What do people do when they get mad and then someone like you says, you just sit there and kind of take it and then you love them. And then the next day you love them again. See, the world doesn't know how to deal with that. But that's the fruit of character that Jesus wants us to bring wherever we go. That these attributes, we take them to our home, to our school, to our workplace (laughs) while we're driving. While we're shopping, while we're standing at the post office, I hate the post office going there. At least DMV now, I can get an appointment. People cut in and do stuff. I just want to go, what are you doing? Oh, no, patience, patience, love. You know why? I'm a tree, and you're a tree. And Jesus says, I want you to have some low-hanging fruit that people can do what? Psalm 34, taste and see that the Lord is good. Glorify God through your fruit. Fourth one, third one is, is, is forearm yourself with God's word. This year, commit to, to become a person of the word. First uh, Thessalonians 3, 1 says this, Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may have free course and he be glorified even as it is with you. I love that. The word would have free course in your life. Let it move with no restrictions. There's no caveats. You don't have a Bible that you're cutting out verses, literally or figuratively, because you don't want to do that. This Bible, his word, it just kind of just flows through you. And whatever he says, you go, okay, sign me up. I'm all in. I'm going to push the chips on. See, it's not where you're just a reader and a student of the word, but you begin to allow the word to become a student of you. Where there's times where you go, oh God, I gotta change that. Thank you for loving me enough to challenge me. And you just go, amen. Let it jab at you a little bit. Let it probe into your heart. Let it be consistently changing you to become more like Jesus. The only way you can really grow loved ones in Jesus and know him better, know his direction, is to be a person of the word, where you're building your faith, where when you pray, you're, you're sensitive to his voice and his promptings, and you be, because you're knowing what he's saying to you. That's why we always give you every couple months those reading plans. And you don't have to read all of it. Just, just get a little bit of it. But we're reading together. And see this book, maybe some of you are newer, see this book as his love letter to you. I love you so much. See, who are the people that mean a lot? I got people in this church, there's a few that, that I've just totally invited into my life to say, when you see something or hear something from me and it just doesn't sound or look like Jesus, would you tell me? And my wife does it all the time. 
Well, let me, let me rephrase that. She has carte blanche. I've been married to the same woman for 36 years, and I know that anything she says to me isn't to make her look better. It isn't to make me look bad. It's to make me look better in Jesus. And, and, the, and, and, and I want people to do that, but I want this word to do that, where I really see it as a mirror. See, there's a big difference between spirituality and religiosity. Religious people know the word. Spiritual people are James 1.22ers. They hear the word, and then they do it. They live this word with a sense of reverence and awe of the living Christ, the living word, because they want to glorify him. They want to to make him big. They want his life to become their life. And the only way you can do that is, is James 1 says that let this word be like a mirror. You go into it and you go, oh man, I gotta adjust that. I gotta fix this. Too many of us take the mirror, though, and we want to try and fix the reflection. (laughs) Paint up the reflection. And Jesus says, no, no, let this be a word. Let it have free course in your life. Glorify me. Um, But you know what religion? Religion is for people who don't want to go to hell spirituality in Christ is for people who don't want to go back. It's more than an asbestos suit. It's an understanding that I've got a preferable future because of Jesus. It's not about just, oh, oh, you know, I'm not going to go to hell. No, it's about I'm going to be with Jesus. And when you live like that, that's how you'll glorify him. Because if it's just an asbestos suit to get out of hell, then that's what you're going to tell people. And people will go, well, okay, I'll roll the dice on that one. I don't believe in it. But when we give them the hope of the future. Last one is this. Focus on Jesus and forewarn others about eternity. 2 Corinthians 4, 5, and 6 says this, For we are not proclaiming ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord, and ourselves as your slaves because of Jesus. Again, Paul is doing this ministry thing. He's saying, I'm coming to you because of Jesus. For God said, let light shine out of darkness. And it has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of God's glory in the face of Jesus Christ because of what he has done. The only reason I can stand up here is because of what Jesus has done. Whatever light shines forth from my life is because of what Jesus has done. Well, and it's the same for you, loved ones. But we have to understand that with that great privilege comes responsibility. We've got to share the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And here's the gospel. Jesus came to earth. He lived a sinless life. He died on the cross. His blood was shed to remove our sins and he resurrected on the third day so that our security and future and everything that he did is truth. That's the good news. That's the gospel. It's a present, past, present, and future tense hope. But as much as people need to hear that, they also need, we need to make sure that we're living it out, don't we?
And that's what this whole idea, I think, of glorifying Jesus is. It's living it out. Paul said that we're living epistles. You and I, everywhere we go, we are, Paul says you are an epistle, you are a letter that's being read by the people around you. Isn't it easy to get lax with this? So easy to live like hell, therefore we're unable to bring any heaven to people's lives. How many people do I talk to? I, you know, they, and I counsel with, oh, I got to change this at work, I got to do this at work, and I go, well, can't you just be Jesus there and bring that, you know, bring his, this fruitful character? Oh, no, I've blown it too many times. Man, if I said anything about Jesus now, I'd be like a hypocrite. Well, go back and make it right. Go back and say, hey, I haven't done, you know. And I'm not, listen, hear me. We're not talking about perfection. But we're talking about a direction. We're talking about glorifying Jesus. Because you're the low-hanging fruit there in that office, wherever you are, loved ones. And it's so easy for our life, our letter, to become illegible, confusing, full of fragments that nobody can read, and then so often we don't want them to read it. That's why when you abide, live to glorify Jesus. You'll be transformed. You'll look more and more like him. Had a memorial service last Saturday, a week ago yesterday, last Saturday. Gal named Mabel, never met her. No connection to Creekside. The family didn't. They just, as often happens, they came here and asked if we would do the, uh, host it and asked if I would do the ceremony. And this woman had such incredible influence with her family and the family said, I want, we want Jesus to be glorified through this. There's only about 30, 35 people there. And, uh, you know, they told me some of the stories that she was really, she was the stepmother of the sons, but then all of their kids, except for one, I think there were seven or eight of them, that now serve Jesus fully, unabashedly, because of her testimony and her life. I went to the service. I, you know, I was doing my part, emceeing it, and, and I got up at one point. And I said, I want to be adopted by this family, you know, because they just love Jesus. And everyone from the oldest to the youngest got up and said, well, you know, Grandma Mabel, well, you know, Aunt Mabel. And I was sitting there, I was thinking, you know, this is, this is what it's supposed to be. I'm alive. And I thought, I want my life to have that kind of legacy. Where people would get up, well, you know, he wasn't all that great, but he sure knew Jesus. He had a lot of imperfect, but he sure shared Jesus. And I want to remind us going into this new year, loved ones, that's our call to depopulate the zip code of hell. And we can't do that if we're living like hell. We do it because we're not perfect, but because we're serving and following Jesus, the perfect one. Some don't care to hear our story, our message, that's fine. But we still have to be ready to give an answer for our belief and our hope. Our ministry as individuals, as as a church, must never be motivated to reach a number. It must be motivated to reach a person. A person that has already been blood-bought by Jesus, but they're going to hell if they don't change their course. We are here today. You are here today. Scripture I shared from Psalms. I think it's 116.15. It says, precious in the sight 
of the Lord is the passing or the dying of his loved ones. When we get to heaven, there's going to be this gate or something. I don't know what, but he's going to come in and it's going to be, there's going to be this joy. Terry, it's great to see you. I feel bad for them, but I'm sure glad you're here with me. I don't know if he's going to be that excited, but um, there's something of that element where it says that, 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 that there's joy. It brings him joy when we go there. And if that's true, why doesn't he bring us there now? There's only two things we can do on this earth. One, sin that we can't do in heaven. There'll be no sin in heaven. So we can do that here. Second thing is this, we can share Jesus' story with people. Which one do you think you're here for? You know, share his story. Share your life. We don't preach ourselves, we preach Jesus. So let's make this year, let's make that our theme. Creekside glorifies Jesus. Jesus. 